It has been a long and crazy year and a half, hasn't it? 18 months ago, we suddenly became part of a global pandemic. Overnight, everything was different. We never saw it coming. Everything changed. Never in my wildest dreams would I ever think that we would have to close the physical doors of our church, stay home for the holidays, and live our lives isolated from family and friends. And I confess, I did not even think it was possible for me not to go shopping for a year. 20 years ago, a series of terrorist attacks changed our lives. How we travel, our feelings of security, our level of preparedness. Our lives came to a screeching halt that day. It all changed. In life, the unexpected does come. So today, I decided to use a parable that on the surface sounds just as shocking and crazy and unexpected to help us understand the kingdom of heaven. And this is one of those moments when I'm thankful that this is not the only parable about the kingdom of heaven. There are other ways to describe the kingdom that do not involve bridesmaids and oil reserves and doors that lock half of us out just because we were a little tiny bit late. So maybe if we can fix our eyes on the sower and those mustard seeds and other parables about the kingdom of heaven, we can manage to get down one parable that hinges on not sharing what you have. Well, I have to tell you up front that I think this text, on the surface, kind of makes church people look bad. Is this how we really want to define a wise person as someone who just takes care of herself? Is this the kind of story that we want people to identify with us? Well, you know those Methodists. They're the ones that hoard all the oil. They preach the wisdom of stockpiling, and they believe that if you are in need, it's just your own fault. Ooh. I asked a friend of mine to read and tell me what he thought about the text. He's sort of relatively unchurched, and he read the text, and he looked at it, and he had this puzzled expression on his face. He said, is that in the Bible? Well, that's not right. Sometimes when I'm working on a difficult sermon, I try to imagine what it would be like to read other passages of scripture through the lens of the particular text that I'm working on. For example, what would happen if we placed Matthew 25 just right next to portions of Matthew's gospel and read them together? What would this parable have to say to those passages? So I tried that, starting with the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew 6 and 7, but I didn't get very far because the wise and foolish bridesmaids were making mincemeat out of the Beatitudes. And I was coming up with some really crazy rewrites, kind of like this. In Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Although to get there, you will need large oil reserves. So forget the first part of what I said and store up for yourself oil on earth so you will have treasure in heaven. Let's try Matthew 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Worry about your oil. That's the main thing. 
Worry about whether you have enough and forget about everybody else because they are not your problem. Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. Unless, of course, you're a little bit late and then you're out of luck. <laughs> In everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Everything except oil because that changes all the rules. Changes all the rules. We know how that feels, don't we? It seems like all the rules have changed for us this past year and a half. And there are some days, I confess, it seems like nothing makes a lot of sense. This parable challenges most of the things I believe about God. It flies in the face of all the Bible stories. If taking care of yourself were the main message of the Gospels and the miracle of the loaves and fishes would have never happened at all, Jesus wouldn't have lifted a finger for that hungry crowd if they hadn't packed their own picnic lunch. And instead of the feeding of the 5,000, we would have the moral of the very few who came prepared. And that's really not what I want to teach our children about God. I don't want them to imitate a bunch of smarmy little bridesmaids and stingy oil men. I want better for them. I want better for my church. I even want better for Jesus. And it's hard to defend him when he tells stories like this. So I just want to look at him and say, okay, Jesus, you're going to have to get yourself out of this one. But of course, the real issue is that I have to get myself out of this one too. Because this parable hits just a little bit close to home. The truth is, I do like to be prepared. I'm pretty much a type A personality. I think it's a good idea to show up with a sermon if you've been asked to preach one. I'm in favor of savings accounts and life insurance and taking care of your physical and mental health so that we do not become unnecessary burdens on anybody. I believe in being prepared, and I bet most of you do too. We are a part of a culture that practically worships planning and forethought and preparation for the future. I think that's why we get upset when something goes horribly wrong, when a war goes badly or a budget is overspent or emergency procedure just seems like they were filled with holes. We just look like we haven't done our homework, like we're just a bunch of silly gooses that don't know what we're doing. Oh, I've said to myself so many times, surely if there had been a better plan, if we, we could have been prepared for this, surely if we'd had wise leadership, this disaster would have never happened. Oh yes, this parable does hit close to home. I don't much like those smarty bridesmaids who showed up with their own flask, but the truth is, I recognize them. And if they were running for office, I'd probably vote for them. So is that all we have here in the end? Just a story that any Boy Scout and insurance agent could have told us? Is that the message here? Be prepared, hang on to your oil, and remember, only a fool gives it away. Well, that's kind of depressing. It sounds like Jesus has been having lunch with corrupt politicians. Maybe we could just say that Jesus had a moment of temporary insanity due to messianic stress, which would account for this out-of-character fluke of a parable which certainly does not seem to gel with the rest of the gospel message. Or is the kingdom of heaven no different than the empires on earth where we just store up oil for our own survival. Could it be that Jesus began his parable this way in order to tease us, 
to get our attention, to invite us to look closer, to really see. Of course, this parable doesn't say whether the bridesmaids had any oil at home. It doesn't tell us if the wise ones were hoarding it or if the foolish ones just hadn't had time to get to the store yet. It doesn't tell us what they had in their savings account or how generous they were with their worldly goods. For all we know, the bridesmaids were, the wise bridesmaids were, you know, down to their very last flask of oil, and the foolish bridesmaids were sitting on barrels of the stuff at home. The parable just doesn't tell us. Its only concern is what they brought with them when they left the house. It doesn't say a word about motives or extenuating circumstances or reasons why five women might conceivably have left their flask at home. And I think that's significant. Maybe this is not a story about how much oil you have. Maybe this is a story about the oil you carry with you. And the parable is very clear. All ten bridesmaids had lamps, but five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The wise ones brought flask of oil with their lamps when it was time to wait for the bridegroom. The foolish ones showed up with lamps, but nothing to keep them going. And when your lamp goes out, you may have gallons of oil sitting at home, but it is not going to do you any good there. So what does this look like? The kind of oil that you would carry with you. What does that look like if it's not an actual commodity that we buy and sell? Well, maybe it depends on the kind of oil we're talking about. Many years ago, I taught a few classes at Campbellsville University, a Christian college in Kentucky, and was giving a lecture to the students about their spiritual life. And one time during this lecture, I brought an oil lamp, the old-fashioned kind of oil lamp that you know, has a wick at the top and you put oil in the bottom. And then we talked about the role of the Christian is to be a light for others, the light of the world. And then I lit the wick and we watched the lamp burn. But here was the rigged part. Because I only put a tiny bit of oil in that lamp, it only burned for a few moments. And I asked the students, what happens when the oil runs out? Well, then the lamp goes out and you have nothing to give. And a minister with no oil, a Christian with no oil, can't be the light of the world for anybody, no matter how that much you want to. So then I asked my students, what fills you up spiritually when you run dry? What replenishes your oil? Where do you find God? And how can you make sure that you get enough oil for your lamp. How does God fill you up again? Because you will run dry. And when you do, you can't be a light for anybody. You remember that safety speech when we get on an airplane, in the event of an emergency oxygen mask will drop from the ceilings, please be sure to secure yours first before assisting others. As a minister, a counselor, a daughter, a mother, a grandmother, a wife, a friend, a Christian, 
I can tell you, I know what it means to run out of oil. I'm guessing you do too. It's fairly simple. When the arrow on the gas tank points to empty, you're going to run out of gas. When a two-year-old doesn't get a nap, she's going to crash. When you haven't had a conversation with your spouse in three weeks that hasn't revolved around logistics, your marriage is probably getting dry. If you've worked 80 hours a week longer than you know, your relationships are going to suffer. If you've eaten junk food for 20 years, your body is going to tell you. If your world has been rocked by a global pandemic for 18 long months and you have battled changes in your life along with isolation and anxiety, your spiritual resources could soon become exhausted. It's really not something any of us can avoid. There are some kinds of fuel that are just non-negotiable. There are also some kinds of oil you can't borrow from someone else. Teenagers learn this at a certain point. You can borrow someone's homework and get by on the assignment, but you can't borrow the hours they put in studying for the test. There are some kinds of preparation we can only do for ourselves. There are some kinds of reserves that no one else can build up for us. You can't borrow someone's peace of mind or their passion for God. You can't say to your friend, oh, you have such a happy marriage, can you give me some of that? No, it doesn't work that way. You have to find it for yourself. You have to figure out what fills you up spiritually? What grounds you? And then make sure you have some of that to carry with you every single minute of every day because you may find that that's how often you need it. And here's the thing. You will run out. Time will run out. Life happens. The hour gets late and everybody gets sleepy. We all doze. We all put it off saying, oh, I'm going to quit working so hard and really spend time with the family one of these days. I'm going to set a time for daily prayer and Bible reading. One of these days, I'm going to really get involved with the ministries at the church. And then we doze. We put it off. And the shout goes up. He's coming. It's time. And one of those days is today. And it's over and you never did bring your flask of oil. I think that's one of the hardest things about this parable. The time will come, unexpected death, serious diagnosis, strained relationships, even pandemics and terrorist attacks. The time will come when you will have to draw on the oil you have right there on your body, in your flask. And it isn't going to come from your pension savings. It isn't going to come from your good intentions or your long-range plans or even your family or friends. It's going to come from what fuels you spiritually right now. It's going to come from where you see God today. And where is that? Where do you find him? Well, Jesus tells us, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you comforted me. 
That's one place we find him in service. We find him in time spent in pouring and surrendering your heart to God. We find him in counting every blessing every day. That's where we get filled up. That's where we get grounded. It's where we gather the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things that can't be checked out of the library and we can't borrow from the neighbor next door, all of those things are just there for us to gather if we ever get around to it. We live in a world where the crazy, unexpected happens. We have to be intentional about seeking God, being grounded in our faith. We have to build up our spiritual bank account. I think those folks who use this parable as a way to scare us all straight are missing the point. You see, you don't fill your lamp because you're afraid you're going to get locked out of the kingdom of heaven. You don't stockpile oil because then you can turn everyone away and that's kind of fun. No, you just stop at the filling station and fill your flask and take it with you because you can't wait to meet the bridegroom. You fill it out of joy. That's the only price of oil when you think about it. The desire to meet Jesus when he comes, which he will, soon, very soon, he's waiting for you now. Pray with me, my friends. Gracious God, help us to put you first in our hearts and in our lives to be grounded deeply in faith, because the things we never see coming will indeed come. Make the desires of our hearts be your desires. Fill us with a life overflowing with you so that you become the air we breathe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.